okay, so I'll, since the microphone's not working, there's no need to stand back there anyway. Um, okay. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, Revelation 22, don't turn there, let me read it to you. This is 10 verses before the end of the Bible. Are you getting this? Got you. All right, I'm going to let you just do that. All right. Um, 10 verses before the end of the Bible. Revelation 22, 12. Behold, I am coming soon. These are Jesus' words. Bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So on the very first sermon that I ever preached, uh, as we gathered together uh, as Hope Bible Church, I, I called it Jesus is Lord of All, and we tried to sort of plant a flag in the ground on that day to say that we are going to be a people who are defined as those who claim Jesus as Lord, and we are loyal to him, and we are awaiting his return. I think that that's a concept that we've sort of lost today. I think some of it probably has to do with the fact that we live relatively comfortably and we enjoy so many things and so we don't we don't always anticipate his return like maybe others have even even today in different countries where it's harder to to worship freely uh, but we do we should be a people who anxiously await the Lord's return and what he says there and this is what I want you to notice is he says I am coming to bring my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done and I decided to look up recompense because I didn't really know what recompense means. And it means to receive compensation or a fitting response for your efforts. All right. So, so this is our passage for this morning. We're actually going to do uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. But I'm going to start at the end in verses 9 through 10. You can go ahead and open there in your Bible if you want to. 2 Corinthians 5. And so this is, this is the end of our passage for the morning. And it's very similar to those words in Revelation. It says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. All right, so I, I don't know what things there are in your life uh, that, that you think you know for sure. Uh, the truth is, we don't know if we'll keep any of the appointments that we have this week. Uh, tons of sickness going around in our, in our congregation. Been talking to several of y'all, and there's been a lot of sickness. So we don't know. Maybe we'll get sick. Maybe, maybe we won't. Maybe somebody in this room won't make it home from here in a little bit. Jesus, Jesus may return before we're done in this chapel today. But here's what you do know, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10. What you do know is that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. God has a calendar. He has a calendar for your life. And each one of us is going to have that appointment. And so as I prayed, uh, this is a, a part of Scripture. I'm actually really excited about it. I think it's a very interesting part of Scripture. Uh, this is a part of scripture that sort of, it just, it just pulls the curtain back a little bit so that we can see what's on the other side. We're walking through this life with the eyes of faith 
and God has told us all these things about the things that are to come. Last week, we saw uh, Paul encourage us to focus. He said, you know, focus on the things that are not seen rather than the things that are seen. In Colossians, he tells them to set their mind on things above, not on earthly things. So this passage today helps us to do that. And, and so before we move on, I just want to square something up because I think this is a passage that requires a little bit of interpretive thought. We are not talking about salvation in this judgment, okay? So we believe that salvation is a free gift that cannot be earned, all right? It is received by faith. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. All right? So the judgment that we are speaking of today is not the judgment of God upon sinners. All right? So let's be clear about that. Uh, there is a judgment that is coming that is going to be a judgment of sinners. Let me read to you. So this is a second, a different uh, judgment. And I'm, let me just read it to you from Revelation 20 beginning in verse 11. So this is what is often called the great white throne judgment. This is a different judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who is seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened then another book was opened, which is the book of life, life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? God's justice <laughs> demands that payment be made for sin. Uh, that we're, we're, we understand that clearly. Okay? Um, that We believe that that payment has been made. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, we trust that that payment has been made at the cross by Jesus, and we are not going to appear before God a second time to experience a second judgment for that sin, all right? So that, that has taken place at the cross. We're not going to be able to be required to pay a price for that again. If you're a Christian today, we are talking about a judgment that is going to be rewards for how we have lived in this life, all right? So you're not destined to face the Revelation 20 judgment, but you are destined to face the 2 Corinthians 5 judgment. And let's be clear. The issue is reward. Okay, We're talking, we have been adopted into God's family. We're speaking as, as God's children, and we have been promised rewards. Those who obey him, they are storing up treasures in heaven. And, and clearly there's a time when we're going to stand before Jesus and experience those rewards. So that's that's what we're going to look at today. Okay, so let's start with verse nine, and then we're going to bump up, and we'll we'll cover verses one through eight quickly um, after we look at verse nine here. So verse nine says, "So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him." All right. So the meaning of this verse is fairly straightforward, right? It is uh, the, the the NASB says um, 
It says that we make it our ambition to please Christ. Christ is my king. I want to please him. Whether I'm at home or away, that is my desire to, to please Christ. All right. So this little phrase here, whether at home or away, we're going we're gonna to jump back up to verse 1 and work our way through 1 through 8 quickly to see what Paul means by this. Okay. And so this is actually verses 1 through 8 is a really interesting look at sort of what happens um, after we're done with this life, okay? And, and we learned some things here. Last week in chapter 4, verse 16, Paul talked about that our bodies are decaying. Our inner man is being renewed day by day, but our bodies are decaying, and this is a fact of life. Uh, scientists can work. Uh, they, can, um, they can work and spend billions of dollars on, uh, you know, anti-aging and trying to keep people alive, but ultimately... Death is going to win. We are, we are going to get older. We are going to get sick. We are susceptible to accidents. So I, I've been, um, I, I, there's, a, there's been a movie filming right, right down the road from my house uh, all week. And so Harry and I have been going down there stalking it and, uh, <laughs> regularly. And so finally, I'm not going to say who it was just in case he listens to the podcast. But uh, it was, it's, a, it's, a, it's an actor that uh, we know well. He's been in a lot of famous movies. And so he finally, he came out, and he was very friendly, and he was waving and smiling. Um, but I was like, oh my goodness, he looks so different. He looks so, he is so much older than he was in that movie about the shark. Okay, it was like unbelievably different looking person than, than he was back then, all right? And, and it just like the effects of aging is... Even, you know, even on Hollywood stars who, you know, are sort of the highest, the, you know, you'd think if, if anybody can afford, you know, freezing or whatever they do to themselves, they could afford it. And it, it ain't working. All right. We're we're all headed in that direction. All right. So so this is a, a fairly enigmatic passage. Paul fills it with a lot of metaphors. So let me I'm just going to walk through it here. OK, so verse one, Paul states the temporary nature of, this, of these bodies. So he's already said this once. He's going to say it again. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. All right? So this is a simple statement that these bodies are not, they're temporary. They're not permanent. It's a tent. So he pictures the body that we're in right now. It's like a tent. It, you can, it's going to be folded Fold it down and put away eventually, all right? As opposed to the building, the structure that is permanent, that's not going anywhere, okay? And, and notice this too. I don't know how up you are on your, your Greek philosophy, like from philosophy 101. But the goal is real permanent bodies, all right? So Plato really messed everything up a couple of thousand years ago when he started talking about Matter is good, matter, matter is bad, and spirit is good, right? And so, you know, you, if, we're all going for the spiritual, and, and we, want to, we want to avoid the matter, we want to avoid the bodies, because that's dirty, and the spiritual is, is pure. And, and Augustine kind of, he took in some of that, and it came into the church. And so, still today, some people think, well, I'm just going to get up there, and we're all going to become spirits one day, and it's going to be a lot cleaner and a lot better. It's not. We are, we are looking forward to real heavenly bodies, okay? Matter is not bad. Right now, matter is corrupted by sin, but God created us to live 
in real bodies, all right? If your vision of heaven is sitting on a cloud playing a harp, you would fall through that cloud, okay? Because you're still a body, and the cloud is, is just air, all right? So, so your glorified body, it's, it's going to resemble, I, I think, uh, I've mentioned this in the past, but I think you can look at Jesus' resurrected body and get an idea of kind of what our bodies are going to be like. No more aging, no more disease or sickness, no more exhaustion, no more cravings for things that don't please God, all right? Yes. Jesus was recognizable, but he was different, right? And I, I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know how Jesus, I don't know how Peter and, and John recognized Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration unless they were wearing like, you know, hello, I'm Moses, name tags. But somehow I think we are going to be recognizable in these bodies. He was, Jesus was touched when, the, when he held out his hands and, and showed them the marks on his, on his wrists and and on his side, and they touched him. Their hand didn't go right, right through him. Right, he was, he was a, a body. I am waiting. I cannot be dogmatic, but waiting to see if we get to do the walking through doors things when we get to heaven. That's that's my big question. Like in this new, is that just a function of him being Jesus that he could just walk into a room through the door, or are we going to get to do that too? I I don't know, but we're going to have bodies. All right. Secondly, Paul is longing for the eternal glorified body that's that's what he wants so he says for in this tent we groan longing to put on our earthly our heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent we groan being burdened not that we would be unclothed but that we would be further clothed that, that word there it actually that we would be super clothed is what that word means so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. So I don't know how much time you spend actually looking forward to the glorified body that you're going to have, but that, that is what Paul, Paul says, I, I groan for that new body. I, I, he's not groaning to be without a body. He's groaning to be in that new body. And like I just said, he, he doesn't want to be unclothed, just, just simply unclothed. He wants to be super clothed. He wants the, the like, the real body. He wants the real thing. Nowhere in the scripture does anybody aspire to be without a body. All right? Paul uses similar language. 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the, and the mortal puts on immortality. All right? Paul, I think Paul was really hoping that he was going to be alive when Jesus came back. Um, and, and when Jesus returns, if he were to come right now, that, that passage in 1 Corinthians 15 indicates that that we would all be changed in, in a moment, in, in the twinkling of an eye, as Paul says, we would all be changed if Jesus appeared right now and we would receive those resurrection bodies. Listen to Paul in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. He, he thought he might be here. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then he says, you know, notice what he says, he says, Then we, who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds 
to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. All right? So this is to be a comfort for us. And, and Paul was like, I'm hoping to be there. And we should all long to see him coming. We should not dread the coming of Christ. We should long for it. It should be a great comfort to us when this mortal body is, that word he uses, is swallowed up in life and we're transformed. And then number three, we know that God is going to give us new bodies because he's already given us a down payment of the Holy Spirit. It says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So our hearts are being renewed. We saw this last week. Our hearts are being renewed, but our physical bodies are still decaying. But the fact that our hearts are being renewed is proof that we can anticipate the new body as well. So yeah, hopefully for most of you, I mean, this is my experience. Like The body I'm in right now, now that I know Jesus, now that I am following him, this body doesn't even seem to fit me anymore. It's like the things Paul talks about in Romans 7, the things that he, he wants to do, he, he doesn't do. He, he, he sins, you know, he wants to do right, but is, the, he feels the sin in his body. And it, it doesn't feel comfortable and it doesn't feel right. It causes him to cry out and say, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this, this body of death? So this language here, remember, we're earthen vessels. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Our inner man is being renewed, and we need new bodies. We need, we need glorious vessels, okay, to be, to be changed into. And then finally, so here's the question then. What happens if we die before Jesus returns? So what's going on right now in heaven with the bodies of our loved ones who have gone on before us? He says in verses 6 through 8, So we are always of good courage, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So be of good courage. Paul's, Paul is basically saying here, it is better to be without the body and with Jesus than it is to be here. So... I don't think that we can be dogmatic. The Bible doesn't really say what, what we're in, in between death and the resurrection. All right? It's just not clear. Some believe that our spirits are waiting in heaven to be reunited with our new body. So, we, so during that time, we are without the body. And Paul kind of sounds like he's saying that here. Like it's better to be away from the body and with Jesus than it is to be here I tend to believe that we are created to be in bodies. I just don't believe that God created us. You know, we're one thing. We're not, we're not just a ghost in a shell kind of thing. I tend to believe that we'll be given some kind of temporary body while we're wait. In Revelation 6, uh, it says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. So these are people who have died. And, the, and the, for the witness they had borne, and they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. I, I mean, first of all, it's interesting to me that the people in heaven are aware. They're aware of what's going on down here, and they're saying, how much longer? But secondly, again, if you're just a spirit, what do you need a white robe for? You know, and, and so if they're, if they're given robes, if they're wearing clothes, 
I tend to think you've got a body um, to, to put on. We don't know. We don't know. But, but Paul is saying, whatever that is, it's still better than being here. Okay? Mm-hmm. I think this transition is hard for us because it's so unknown. You know, I was thinking, you graduate from middle school, you go to high school... Uh, you've seen people go to high school. You know what a high school is. I, you know, you've got older brothers that have been to high school. Your mom and dad have been to high school. You're, you know, you go to college. You know, it's not like, it's not like you're, you're going away to something else. You know, you kind of know what college is. You know what marriage is. You know what having kids. You know, at each stage in life, we've seen people go before us. But this transition is hard for us because we don't know what's on the other side. We can't talk to somebody who has experienced that transition. And so we have, to, we have to understand, again, with the eyes of faith, what we're told in the Scripture, what God has chosen to reveal to us, and, and, and that's where we have to place our trust. Okay. So in summary, Paul sees three possibilities for the future. This is what he's saying. I can live until Jesus returns. That's the best. That's what he's going for. He would prefer to just keep working, have Jesus return, have his glorified body, go to heaven. He could die and go to Jesus to await Jesus' return. And he says, that's fine. Even if I'm out of this body and I'm waiting for Jesus, I'm happy with that. Or he can stay here and he can serve until Jesus either comes or he dies. So that's what ties this whole thing together. And so he, when he says, whether I am at home, in the body, or away, I make it my aim to serve Jesus. I make it the aim of my life. The ambition is to please Jesus. And so I would suggest to you, we all need to start now. Like That, that should be our ambition as well. He, he tells the Thessalonians in chapter 4, he says, Finally, brothers... We ask and urge you in the Lord that as you received it from us, how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, and do so more and more. Why not write it out? Why not just go to a monastery and hunker down? You get saved, and you're waiting for this new body. Why doesn't God just save us and just, boom, take us right directly to be with him? Maybe we should just work Make enough money, stock up on Doritos and Netflix, and just stay quiet until Jesus comes back. Like, why not do that? And the reason is because we all have this major appointment on our schedule. We all have this calendar that is God's calendar. We're going to stand before Jesus, and we want to be pleasing to him. So in the time we have left, we are preparing for that day. And that's what Paul's doing, okay? So that brings us to verse 10 then. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. All right. We know this for sure. Have you, have you ever... So I, this is how I've pictured this. Okay, if you're like me, this is this is a really freaky scene. But everybody's in some kind of large, heavenly auditorium, and there's a big video screen, and Jesus is sitting on the stage, 
and he just starts working his way down. Cleland, get up here. And then it just all goes on the screen, you know, and everybody's out there going, oh, you know, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this, you know, and we're all just sort of waiting in line for our turn when it all goes up on the screen, you know, and, and I, I think that's kind of how that, how it's presented for us sometime. That sounds awful, okay, and, and I, I can't imagine that Paul would be saying, remember, this is all in the context of we don't lose hope. You know, I mean, so I just can't imagine that Paul is like, well, one of the reasons we don't lose hope is we've got this terrible thing coming in this video screen one day and everybody's going to see everything we've ever done. All right. So I, I just don't think that's what he's saying here. All right. First of all, notice that it's an it's an individual judgment. All right. The Bible does speak of God judging the nations and, and of judging, you know, whole cultures. But here he says each one must appear. All right. So I, I think this is something that goes on between us and Jesus. All right. I, I don't think that this is like crowd participation here. All right. And this word judgment seat, maybe you've heard it. Older theologians refer to this as the Bema seat. So the word is Bema. It's the same word for where Pilate sat when he was judging Jesus, when he was deciding Jesus's fate. All right. And what Paul says here is he says, we will all appear. And, and, and this word is interesting, too, because it means we will all be made manifest. We will all be made clear. All right. I believe we're going to stand before Jesus. And all at once, it's all going to be clear to us, just as it's clear to him, how we have served him in this life. I don't think he needs a video screen to do that. All right. Now, obviously, this is a heavy thought, and it should be. And, and we should be thinking about that day, because that's what Paul tells us to do. But again, Paul is speaking in the context of not losing hope. He's motivating us to do good. So let me offer you a, a way of looking th at this today that I, I think is, is hopeful. I, I, we all love 2 Corinthians 8, 9, uh, 2, 8, 9, and 10, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourselves, the gift of God. Thus no man should boast. But we don't go to verse 10. We, we, we stop there. Verse 10 says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk, walk in them. So we have been saved. We are his workmanship, created for good works, which he has created for us to walk in. We all know all the things we've done that we should be ashamed of, all right? And when Jesus looks at us, I'm sure we're going to be aware that he knows a lot more than we even know. But is it possible that Jesus will look at us and our hearts, in our hearts it will be revealed the works that he created for us to walk in, the things that we don't even know about, the, the good things that he has worked in us, perhaps even things that, that we're not even aware that we've done. Remember, God sees it all. He knows it all. He's using it all. We, we talked about the widow last week, the widow's mite. We talked about how she put all that she had into that box. She didn't know anybody was watching. She, I don't think she was like, I mean, I don't think Jesus would have called. If she was like, Jesus is over there, I'm going to put this in. I don't think that's what she was doing. I think from the bottom of her heart, she was giving everything that she had. God noticed it. Jesus noticed it. We're still talking about her today. 
And I don't think she had a clue that anybody was watching. And this is why I think it's important for us that we don't judge ourselves in, in this standing with God according to like great and glorious and grand things that we think we should have done or we think we shouldn't have done. Okay? It's the little, everyday, sacrificial things that we do before God and before others that will be remembered. All right? So this isn't about, well, I really felt like I was going to go be a missionary to Peru and I never did it and God's going to call me to account for that. No. It's about how you live your life every single day, every little thing. Secondly... We will be judged according to our deeds. And we've seen that in Revelation 22. We see it here in this passage as well. You can't get around it. You will be judged for the things that you have done. Now, again, the word he says for the good things and the bad things. All right? And I just want to point out, this word bad here, it's not the word for evil. It's the word for worthless. All right? So Jesus is saying you're going to be judged for the good things you have done and for the worthless things you have done. And I think Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 3 are helpful here. This is a familiar passage. Probably all of you expected me to go here. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So at this judgment, all the things we have done will be subjected to some kind of testing. As, as by fire, the good things will survive. And the worthless things will be consumed. And I, I don't believe that this is the Christian being judged for the wicked things that he has done versus the good things he has done. I believe Paul is speaking here of those things that will remain and follow us into heaven as treasures versus those things that are worthless and will be destroyed. I think Paul is saying, don't waste your time. Don't waste the resources that God has given you. Invest in eternity. Send your treasure ahead. God has given all of us gifts and talents and resources and all of these things that we're supposed to steward. And he is saying, don't squander those things. Because you're going to give an account for how you have used the things that God has given you. You say, I don't have much. Listen to this quote. Every honest intention, every stumbling word of witness... Every resistance of temptation, every motion of repentance, every gesture of concern, every struggle towards obedience, every mumbled prayer, everything, literally everything which flows out of our faith relationship with the ever-living one will find its place in the ever-living heavenly order which will dawn at his coming. Mm -hmm. It's the little things. It's the faithful things. And, and young people, if I, if I can just talk to you all just for a second, you have your whole life to store up these treasures in heaven and to focus your life on that. And, and I just want to encourage you, y'all, some of the 
some of the greatest missionaries, some of the greatest men, some of the greatest influencers of the church gave their lives to this at a, at a young age. And I, I don't think any of them are sorry for that. So consider these things now. Build these habits now. All right, so as we conclude, I, I, I think these kind of passages, they're precious because they help us to see things clearly, opens the eyes of our hearts. First of all, it helps us to remember that this life is passing away. We don't know how long we have. And, and we get this one little sliver of life to live by faith. In this time, the, the, the Bible calls it a vapor. It will soon be gone. And we need to live in this reality. We need to have that 10,000 year view as we live here. I, I, I said this last week. I'll say it again. I my prayer for Hope Bible Church is that we will be a people who are investing heavily in heaven. This is, this is the smartest investment advice anybody's ever given anywhere. Send that treasure ahead. And then secondly, and this is just something we have to deal with because it's what the Bible says. Heaven is going to be great. But your heaven will be determined to some extent by how you live in this life. That, that's what we learn. Like, no matter what, heaven's going to be good, all right? But the treasure that you have when you get there, it, it, what we're doing here is going to have some kind of bearing. The Bible speaks of greater reward. The Bible speaks of greater authority. Moses prayed <coughs> in Psalm 90. He prayed, establish the work of our hands. He, it, it, in the Hebrew, it literally means make permanent the work of my hands. I think Moses is saying, let me do things today. Let me do things that are going to last. Lord, let me do things that are going to last forever. Let me read one other verse from Revelation. This is Revelation 14, 13. I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit that they may rest from their labors and their deeds will follow them. Our deeds will follow us into heaven. And, and if we persist in ignoring these things, we're just foolish. We're just foolish. Uh, and, and, and there's no doubt. I mean, we live with a lot of light. I'm sorry, you heard this sermon today. Now you're responsible. Like, this is, Jesus has given us this light and we have this, this opportunity to, to store up the treasure in heaven. And then finally, and uh, if you're passing out the, the bread and the cup, you guys can, can get up. Um, this, is, this is an easy transition for us this morning into the Lord's table. This, this little meal is supposed to be a reminder for us. Jesus, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, the passage we read most weeks, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. So there's, there's an aspect of what we're doing that signifies that we are awaiting his return. And that we are aware that that's really important for us as, as Christians, as believers. So as we, as we, as we take this now, just uh, grab the, the bread and the cup and, and hang on to it. And we'll, we'll take it together in a few minutes. But just let your heart contemplate. Uh, the deeds that you do, worthless and otherwise. You guys can come on. <laughs> they had a couple of false starts back there.